The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. Good evening, listeners. You just heard Club Integral. You are now listening to Very Loose Women on Resonance 104.4 FM. This evening on the show, I'll be chatting to Claire Stewart, the festival director of the London Film Festival. I went along to the British Film Institute where Claire works last Friday, and we're going to be playing some extracts from that interview. But before we get on to this topic, like every week, let's start with a mini celebration, mainly Emma's one today. Hi, Emma. What is your mini celebration? Hi, Leo. Thanks for asking. Um, I've got two mini celebrations today, actually. So if you don't have anything to celebrate, then you can have one of mine. So I don't know if you know this, but one of my favorite animals in the whole world is the leopard gecko. They're like incredibly cute little lizards that are like leopard print. They're just beautiful. Anyway, and today I was in a classroom at school, in the school I was working in, um, and I discovered they had one just living in the classroom. I mean, in its own little tank. Um, And I got to hold it, and I made the the teacher in the class take pictures of me holding it because I was so excited. So like that was a real excitement for me. Anyway, and my other mini celebration was also at school today. So I've been doing a lot of like supply work in SEN schools. And um, today it was like no Pens Day Wednesday, so they weren't allowed to write anything. Um, So like everything had to be like, you know, acting or like playing with different stuff, but there was no writing today. And um, so one of the teachers just thought she'd make all the kids do like an X Factor style thing where like all the staff sat like behind desks and like judged, like very generously judged the children's performances. And I think these children must have learned their song for something to do with school. But like one of them just started singing um, Chicago, If You Leave Me Now. Do you know the song? And it's like by the band Chicago from the 18th. Yeah, I think we should probably play a clip actually. But it basically is a song that's like, If You Leave Me Now. Oh, yeah, you take it away, big. And this, like, this boy just got up and was like singing it like so emotively. Wow. It was so beautiful. And then like loads of other kids who obviously had also learned it at school, like just all got up and like stood behind him and all sang and like danced. Oh, so it my was goodness. so You're cute. You're really making me miss teaching right now. It was like one of the cutest oh, things goodness. ever. So after those mini celebrations, uh, here is uh, the beginning of my interview with Claire, where she speaks about her role as a festival director and how she got into films. I am with Claire Stewart. Thanks so much for inviting me along to these secret offices of the BFI. Could you tell me first a little bit about what you do here? I'm the director of the BFI London Film Festival and head of festivals for the BFI. So as well as taking creative leadership on um, the London Film Festival in October, I am also uh, responsible for the festival's team and we do the uh, BFI Flair LGBT Film Festival in March as well. I read your Twitter bio, which is that you grew up in a small town without a cinema and you've been madly overcompensating ever since. So first of all, where is this town? And uh, and given that there was no cinema, how did you get into films? Uh, the town is called Karambara, I'm an Aussie, and it is... Uh the indigenous word for land of the blowfly, which is not a very auspicious uh, kind of name, really. Um, so it was quite, it was an hour and a half out of Melbourne, but very remote um, in in terms of culture. There was a drive-in at a nearby town, and there was a cinema at another town about half an hour away. So really, I could count on two hands the number of films that I saw on a big screen before I moved to Melbourne for uh, university studies. And it was actually through studying cinema studies that I really became obsessed with film. But you picked film studies. How did you get that first access into films? What was the thing where you were like, this is this is what I want to do? 
I mean, it's it's strange. It wasn't quite so specific for me. It was like there was a lot of pressure on me to do law, and actually, I wanted to do fine arts. So I thought somehow cinema studies would be a compromise between the two, and it's it's one of two major compromises I've ever made in my life that turned out to be, uh, you know, a, a completely brilliant uh, accidental, uh, you know, discovery. Do you remember? Maybe not the first, but an early film that you saw and really loved. You know, obviously, given that lack of lack of cinemas, I, I did see m- most of my early films in a TV context. But again, my parents were quite rigorous about not too much TV. So I have a very, very vivid memory of sneaking out one night and watching Hitchcock's Rebecca with the sound turned down. In my mind, for many years later, I thought that this was a silent film. I'd forgotten that I'd actually, you, you, you know, turned the sound down. So it was a kind of real shock to me as an adult to revisit this film and discover that it had a whole other layer of richness. But I think that that says so much about Hitchcock as a filmmaker that I could, as a, you know, 12-year-old or however old I was at the time, completely understand what was going on in that film uh, whilst uh, sneakily watching it uh, with the sound turned down. Okay, so I think that's really interesting, kind of her talking about the films that kind of shaped her a little bit and got her into film. I was wondering what films kind of changed our perspective on film. So, I don't know, we kind of discussed a little bit earlier, actually, and you gave an interesting answer, because I was saying, you know, there's a kind of standard films you watch as a child, maybe like Disney films, Mm. to which you kind of said, not me. Yeah, I, I don't know. I remember like one of the really early films that I was watching was Earth Girls Are Easy. (laughs) I I know the name, but I've not actually seen it. Have you ever seen it? It's like, so I was like, what was that film when Google first emerged? I remember it was one of the first things I Googled was Three Furry Aliens, Red, Yellow, Blue. And it's this film with, I think, Jim Carrey and Jeff Goldblum. And it's got this song that goes, I'm a blonde, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really really bizarre film. And I just remember it being so weird. And also when I was, I think you already know this because I've spoken about this on the show, but knowing all of the words to Wizard of Oz, that film had a great impact on me. Uh, Like as early films, for sure. I don't think my parents were like incredibly boring with their film choices. But I think, you know, I probably watched like standard, um, like standard kids films, standard like Disney type films or, you know, things of that ilk you know, never-ending story, things like that. And I think the first films I really remember being kind of astonished by were were actually Tim Burton films when I was quite young, like Night Before Christmas, I think. Well, he produced that film. And also, like, Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands. They're just, like, incredibly, like, quirky and Mm. and quite bizarre. And I think if you've never seen anything like that, like, obviously, I think now Tim Burton's gone off the rails and it's just campy. Self-parody. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's weird, isn't it? But anyway, but, um, yeah, I think... Tim, if you're listening. No, please, Tim, listen to us. Beetlejuice as well, like the use of music in that film. It's not a musical, but like the use of music and there's like points when people burst into song and it's like... Whereas I remember, I think at uni we watched, uh, what's that one where he chops people up? You know, the thing about... Sweeney Todd is one of the worst films. It was so bad. I remember, like, we went into that evening hoping to have such a great night. It was so awful. It was really annoying. So I think those are some of the kind of first films that I remember thinking are, like, really interesting and really unusual. And then I think um, also what I really liked uh, when Claire was talking is her her talking about drive-ins because like for the longest time in my life I always wanted to go to a drive-in until I was about like 25 I'd never been to one I really always wanted to go and finally like I went to Australia and like I got a chance to go to one so I think the film the first films that I saw in drive-in movies 
or maybe not drive-in, but outdoor cinema, at least, have made, like, a real big impact, even if they weren't necessarily the best films in the whole world. What? So I saw 500 Days of Summer, but, like, it was, oh, like, on the beach. Yeah. And, like, to me, like, being outside and watching a film was just incredible. And also I saw um, Such a Strange Love. Yeah, or How I Learned Yeah, so those two like films that. as well, like, massive impression on me just because I was like, oh, my God, finally I have oh, this dream of, like, watching a film outside. I, I It's weird because I had a kind of narrated approach to watching films. So my dad when I lived with my dad, we had like a lot of channels. And when I was flicking through and he'd see a classic cinema piece, he'd say, that is amazing. You must watch that. So I saw like, I saw like, I don't know, perhaps hundreds of films in my teens that are just classic cinema. So a lot of Kubrick's and The Graduate, for example, I've watched like, I think that was my favorite movie for a long time. When I was in my teens, I got really into this French filmmaker called Eric Romer, who who like did these almost kind of rom com things but very haughty it's so french it's so french um and i just really enjoyed they were always like set in summer and he was a university lecturer and made them all in his holidays and so they've just got this like really summery spirit to them that i just love i think as well oh, actually if we're talking about in- like films our dads introduced us to there's two films that my dad made me watch that are actually quite surprising one is harold and maud which i love i did a film dissection of that when I lived in Belgium and um, also my dad made me watch Pretty in Pink he bought it for me and I think just because he was like I mean in his younger days I think he was like in love with Molly Ringwald so he's like really into like her I didn't know who what is it John Hughes right yeah I didn't know who he was until I got to uni like that that completely passed me by so when I learned about him like first or second year I just just watched all loads of them I just loved those films is that why you love like the the cheesy teen? I loved all cheesy teens. No, I mean I loved that before. I'd, I'd seen them, but I didn't know that there was like a whole genre until I got to you. But also, it's funny that you were talking about what you were saying about um, Eric Romer. Yeah. Um, because I I know that you love films set in summer. You love things that involve summer. I do. Yeah. That's funny that you know that about me. Yeah. Maybe that's it's, true. it's so cold in this country. You're like, <laughs> oh my god pretend it's always summer the other films i wanted to very briefly mention were just like a lot of films that have either really like flamboyant like very flamboyant scenes in them so things like hedwig and the angry inch was a film mm. that i really like i never seen i remember like, that you're obsessed with that obsessed film. With it. Yeah. and also lawrence anyways by xavier donna oh. canadian director um they're both just like and also tomboy which is not so flamboyant but like basically any films that involves weird gender stuff and yeah, and all into. Celine Shiama. I basically, I think I've said, we said this when we interviewed Khadija Toure, but I basically feel like that is the life I should have had if I was talented. Those are the films I would like to make if I were in her position. I saw The Act of Killing on your list and I was oh, yeah. hoping you'd bring that up. Sorry. And well, I just wanted to mention Act of Killing because, yeah, it changed the way I viewed documentary and I make a lot of documentaries. So I just wanted to put that in. I've just never seen anything like that, basically. Like the the kind of cathartic way that he was getting people to dress up dress up and yeah. kind of show their perception of the events and actually i read that um louis through i saw the scientology documentary <sighs> but he was inspired by that one to do that but also i, th- I feel like um is it joshua oppenheimer yeah. like his direction was incredible and i also yeah. feel like he presented a story of people who did, did things which were quite like, deplorable acts yeah but in a way that i found like not judgmental at all and exactly. like he just allowed himself a story yeah. which is like the opposite, opposite of how i absolutely. feel about louis theroux right. so yeah so here's the rest of the interview with claire speaking about her first steps into programming I mean, my love of cinema is very, very broad ranging. And I really, uh, in the context of the BFI London Film Festival, have the great opportunity to work with films at all ends of the spectrum. So in terms of our headline galas, we're working with really, uh, you know, big films that are going to reach significant audiences, films like um, A United Kingdom, 
Kingdom, La La Land and uh, Arrival, for example. Um, uh, but then also what I love about what I do is that it's a very important context for discovering new filmmakers. And we have over 60 films by first time featured directors in the program. And obviously films from more than 70 countries from around the world. I've got a section on the film festival itself, but I wanted to get a bit more into this role you have, kind of dissecting how you ended up being the director of the London Film Festival. Where I felt really comfortable and felt that I had something to add was by uh, bringing films to audiences. I started out volunteering for the Melbourne Cinematheque. I went on to uh, work for the Australian Film Institute, also initially in a volunteer capacity. I was just kind of immersing myself in as much film as possible. You know, started doing a radio program and publishing a magazine. So all of this thinking about cinema and wanting to communicate those thoughts and share those thoughts with, with audiences, as well as uh, enjoying the process of engaging with filmmakers and with all of the companies, sales agents, um, distributors, uh, now studios of course as well uh, who are bringing those films out to audiences this is a, a question just because I've, I've made films and I, I really love the process of it why or how are you drawing that line between someone who is promoting the films and have you ever been tempted to fall over the other side and maybe make something yourself well, I mean, you've just come straight to what my second big compromise was um, because that has turned out so brilliantly for me because I was uh, doing both film production and cinema studies at university and I felt that it was very hard to bring those two things together, actually. And so my solution to that was to see as many films as possible and that is what actually led me to wanting to work in programming. Yeah. I can't even imagine now where I'm up to in terms of how many films I've seen in my lifetime I have really genuinely overcompensated but uh, the um, you, you know the excitement for me comes not so much from the idea of of the making uh, in terms of whether I'm a maker but it comes from um, that sense of discovery so that that beautiful crystalline moment of um, you know putting a screener in the DVD player downloading a link or um you know going to the cinema and seeing a, a film you know very little about and that you know incredible moment of going oh wow look at this and i i want to share this with people mm. that's that's where it comes from okay so I, f I found that quite an interesting perspective from claire the kind of idea of like really delighting and discovering new films and being able to share those films but not actually the kind of desire to make to make films herself so I was wondering I think you know we're both film lovers but why did you decide to take the step because I know you're interested in making films and you have made films why did you decide to take that step to actually make your own movies I just really love I don't know it's it's I used to really want to make fiction films when I was really into Elie Comer I really wanted to make these kind of like very light summary very comical films like that's that was like my ideal film of what I wanted to make almost between like rom-com and Oh, it sounds really silly. Anyway, I just really wanted to make these these very enjoyable films. Um, and then, like, I made I made this short at university, and it was it was pretty appalling. Um, and and then when I went to Papua New Guinea and I started interviewing people, and we started constructing narratives out of these very factual things and building it around other people and not kind of what I was making up in my head. I found that I I just I, it made me a lot happier. 
I think maybe that's also something that maybe why we both like the film The Act of Killing as we were talking about before because I do think it kind of blurs this line between like fact and fiction and you know it's portraying always different people's their perceptions and their realities but it's not kind of offering something as like complete fact so it kind of does blur those lines but, but also the I mean the fiction that it's offering is the fiction that's coming out of the interviewees it's not coming out of the filmmaker's head he's, yeah. he's like asked them to reenact and to, to create scenarios so there's a there's a kind of directorial generosity there. It's people who wouldn't usually be filmmaking who have access to creating those scenarios, and that's uh, what makes it so um, so complex. And that hadn't really been done before, to my knowledge. So obviously, as we're both saying that we like love watching movies, and obviously it sounds like Claire has a really great job because she basically gets to watch like millions mm-hmm. of films and then kind of get to choose which ones she likes the best and then show them and program them. But obviously there's parts of her job that are probably not as exciting. And I think she's going to tell us a bit about some of those. I think there's many invisible parts of the job, actually. And probably the most invisible part is the scheduling. We're actually sitting in front of the uh, insane uh, scheduling board. This takes um, myself and the program team three weekends to put together um, the uh, festival schedule. When you're uh, putting up um, 245 feature films across um, 14 venues and uh, uh, over 500 screening slots, and wanting to not not create inadvertent clashes, you know, it becomes a very, very laborious, very, very obsessive process. And that is something that I do feel, you know, we kind of love it because we're suckers for punishment, but we also, I think, would be very happy if the festival could just schedule itself. (laughs) I'm sure, yeah, I came in and the office is full of very busy people and I'm sitting opposite this. It is enormous. I think it's about almost my height and it's got lots and lots of stickers on it. So that does get us quite neatly onto the London Film Festival. So what what was your intention? Like, obviously, I can see all of the little squares here um, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me who doesn't know anything about scheduling and programming. Um, But what was your intention when it came to programming this year's London Film Festival? Part of the thinking, I mean, not many festivals take this kind of approach of, I guess, more of an experiential sense of how you might structure the programme. And this is to really help uh, audiences find their way because actually, you know, 245 films can be very daunting if you don't know a whole lot about cinema. This year... Uh, as well, uh, you know, in addition to having these program sections, we also wanted to establish a talking point like we did last year. The talking point last year was around strong women and we opened the festival with Suffragette and we had a symposium on the second day with uh, the Gina Davis Institute and Women in Film and TV about the importance of um, uh, representation, uh, positive representation of women and girls in front of the camera and, you know, opportunities behind the camera. Uh, This year, we're kind of amplifying a season that the BFI is doing after the festival called Black Star. And we're looking at some of the questions that kind of underpin that. So in addition to celebrating the achievements of black actors, so we have some amazing films this year, David Oyelowo in A United Kingdom and our opening night film directed by Amara Asante and um, Queen of Catway, Mirinez's new film, uh, Birth of a Nation, the film that won the special uh, jury prize, uh, sorry, that won the jury prize and the audience award prize in Sundance. Uh, Ava DuVernay's new documentary, The 13th, Spike Lee's new film, um, uh, Chirac, and and indeed um, a really brilliant film by Barry Jenkins in competition called Moonlight. 
a range of really fantastic uh, black stories on screen this year in the program. But we also wanted to create this symposium that gets um, everybody talking about do we uh, have an industry that supports enough diverse screen, uh, stories coming to the screen. And so David Oyelowo is going to do the keynote for that. Um, Amma Asante, Julie Dash, the legendary uh, filmmaker of Daughters um, of the Dust, which uh, we're screening the restoration of in the festival, uh, will be here for that as well as um, Barry Jenkins and Noel Clark. So, you know, very excited to use the festival, not only as a great opportunity to bring Londoners and um, audiences across the UK, great new cinema but also to um you know create debate and discussion that's very much what festivals are about what i really wanted to ask claire and i think what most people who make films would want to ask claire is how does she select the films for the london film festival and actually her answer was not as straightforward as you'd expect here it is I think uh, the very first question that we always ask uh, of any film is, you know, has the filmmaker delivered the film that they intended to deliver? Which is a really helpful question because it um, it can it can really uh, help focus uh, your ideas about whether a film is landing properly and will you know and will play well with an audience. And we want that. We want uh, not only to be representative of all kind of styles and forms of cinema as well as representing all the regions of the world in terms of our program but we really want to uh, be choosing films that have a very assured approach to them that can mean it's something that's you you know big budget and polished Uh, it can also mean that something very rough around the edges but where the idea is so strong or a central performance is so strong that, that that carries the film and I mean to us as well the program team we're all uh, you know very interested in filmmakers who take risks and one of the other questions we ask is you know have they taken risks and did they pull them off and that is a a very helpful kind of frame for 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 thinking about them but you know there's an element of programming that is intuitive this year obviously the focus isn't on gender but is it something that you're still keeping in mind when you're doing the programming very much so. I think we're very, very passionate in our program team about ensuring that there is a strong representation of women directors in the program. Uh, when I say strong, we've gone up from having 20% last year to 24% this year. In real terms, we are making you, you know a significant effort to kind of hunt out films by women directors so that really speaks to the fact that there's still a lack of parity in terms of opportunities for women behind the camera I say that but then I look at this program and it it thrills me I get so excited about the fact we're opening with a film by Amara Sante we have films by Mira Nair and Lerner Scherfig alongside perhaps a lesser known filmmaker in the UK Mike Dijon uh, her film Layla M, which I just think is one of the sort of standout, interesting indie films of the year, also screening in official competition. So across the program, there is that's just the sort of top, uh, you, you know, the top tier, if you like. Um, but across the program, there is such a fantastic range of films uh, directed by women and such an interesting um, mix of voices coming through. I mean, we do see something, and this happens year on year. You know, there's 
always a lot more women directors represented in the documentary selection there it is a much more even playing field so you know my sort of theory about that is that at the low budget end of the spectrum women are very adaptable they're they're in and they're actually you know there's a lot more equity when you look at short films documentaries and the very low budget um it's as soon as you start to get to more uh films that require more finance and more investment that you see a sort of disparity in terms of uh, the gender mix so yeah I think there's lots of questions that that brings up well why do you think that is uh, well, I do think it's got to, well, it has to be about a perception of trust because financiers are obviously, you know, obviously have a lot of money that they're putting into the films and they have to trust that the director is going to deliver on vision. So I feel like there's something there that is very difficult to put your finger on exactly what it is or exactly how you can address it. But it does feel like in that sort of financing, green lighting world, there is something yet that needs to, you you know, click in order to create the sort of uh, equity that we're uh, It's really interesting that you'd pinpoint it in that that section of, of the filmmaking process. So while we're on the topic of kind of diversity and maybe especially kind of women in film and the huge lack of women in directorial and production and film writing roles, especially in kind of mainstream films, um, I thought we could do a little Bechdel quiz. Okay, I'm so, all ears. Okay, firstly I'll give a little definition of Bechdel. So basically Alison Bechdel um, is a graphic novelist or a comic book creator um who created what is it dykes look out for is that right is that one that that was it was like serialized um i think in her 20s it was just a kind of a description of the the community that she was in and i think she kind of created this bechdel test which i believe to be kind of tongue-in-cheek I don't yeah, think it's, yeah, it's no, it's not meant to criteria. be taken seriously. It was, it's just like one character. I think they're like on their way to the movies after a day, or probably before the day. You know, you know what I mean. It was, it was just like, it was just like a little piece of dialogue, and it's been blown up into this whole thing. She didn't mean to like create a sociological event. Or but we're gonna do a quiz and see. So basically, the test is for a film to pass a better test. It must have at least two named female characters who talk to each other in a conversation that is about anything other than a man. Okay, so it should be quite easy for films to pass this. And I'm going to just ask you a selection of films and you've got to say if you think it passes or fails the back of that test. I'm listening. Okay. Film number one, American Pie 2. Would you believe it would pass or fail the test? Um, I think that it it would fail the test. It's a passer. It passes the back of that test. Um, which is your favourite of the American Pie series? You know, I think I've only seen one or two, but I think one is a classic. I, really I love like American Wedding. I'm going to put that out there. American Wedding. American the, Pie 1 is like the best one, right? I mean, I can't really compare, but I really enjoyed that film I, on, a, on a very genuine level. I have a real soft spot for the dad. I love the dad. What? Eugene Levy. What? He's so sweet. I always What liked, when he's like, well, just tell your mum we ate the pie. Like, that's cute. He's I a like nice guy. I like the band camp character. No, she's awful. Oh. Okay. Next one. Stepford Wives. The uh, I, I think this is referring to the remake. reboot, as they say nowadays. But yeah, remake. Did they say? Okay. People love saying reboot. Um, I haven't seen any of the Stepford Wives films. What would you guess? Um, given that Wives is in the title, I would say that it passes. <laughs> um, that is a pass. <laughs> okay, no country for all men. I would say that that fails because I don't think there are any female characters in that film. Apparently, it passes because there is like one really small scene with two women talking about something that isn't a man. Oh wow! Um, and finally, Run Lola Run. 
I think that that passes because the main character is a woman. Fail. Apparently, she doesn't speak to any other women in the entire film. I mean, she doesn't speak to a lot of people. She's mainly running in that film. It's very well titled as a film. Well, there you go. There we have it. Your knowledge of um, Bechdel passing films is quite limited. I hope the listeners were playing along at home. And if you got five or was it four? Four. Four. If you got four out of four, please let us know so we can champion you on next week's show. Okay, so I guess that kind of obviously was a little fun quizette to do. But um, it got me kind of thinking, like, do we deliberately seek out films that are made by women or people of color or or minorities in any way? Like, do you do you go out of your way to look at those films? Um, I, I don't think that I would pick a film according to uh, the gender of the director. But um, but if it is a female, I will be more attentive to that. So like... Um, the winner of the Sheffield Doc Fest this year was a woman. And uh, so I wanted to see that person. It was called uh, Camera Person, her film. And um, and then also there are, uh, you know, really great directors now, like Celine Sciamma, who we've already spoken about on the show. We bring her up most weeks on the show because <laughs> we, we, love we love all her, her films. Yeah. Um, and I think that, it you know, it's obviously great that she's a woman. And I, I think, I, do, I don't know if it's just because I particularly love her films and it's very close to my sensibility, or if I'm close to that sensibility because we're both, you know, women who've grown up in Paris. Like, I don't know if, I don't know what it is. But there is something about seeing someone like you producing the kind of things that you want to yeah. produce and yeah. it kind of gives you hope that you will then be able to do that. And there is a kind of a gap for you, an area for you to Maybe, do Maybe, or just that there's a voice expressing something that I want to express, you know? And she's doing it, I think, a lot better than I could ever do. I think as well. So obviously we both loved Celine Sciamma, or we talk about her. I'm another director or a film that I've seen recently is The Falling, which is a film I was really impressed by. Um, it's quite wacky. But I think that like, yeah, as maybe something you've said before as well, I saw an interview with Carol Morley, Morley, the director, and I think there was something about actually seeing a woman director, which is something that's quite rare to see. And, you know, in a film that's very female focused, it's about like a kind of fainting epidemic um, in an all-girls school mm. and I think you know there's something about that like coming from a very female perspective that is something that I think I, Ooh, Emma, I picked up on how do you feel about Miranda July Miranda July is a really interesting one because I, I don't really want to say I kind of hate her but I kind of <laughs> love her there's I have a very confused relationship with Miranda July um uh, if you've seen me and everyone we yeah, know yeah. there's a line in that where one of them says like I want to poop yeah, and that's the butt. best line. And then and, poop like, back, poop and, back and, forth. and forth like forever. <laughs> and I remember sending this to my friend who like had also seen the film and we both thought it was really funny. But she decided to show loads of people this text that I sent her and didn't tell them it was like a quote from a film. <laughs> and it was like one of the most mean things anyone's ever done. So thank you. I, yeah, um, but fair. yeah, no, I think like some of her films are great. Some of them are just a bit too like... Um, but yeah, I think that there is something about seeing a film from a perspective that you don't often get to see, mm. which is really, really interesting. And even films like, I, I don't know, films I mentioned also before are films that are made by, um, I guess, queer men. And they show a perspective that I'm also very interested in. And also um, in terms of films of people of color, like a film that I saw recently, Dear White People, that I think it was really, yeah. really important for me to see a film from a perspective of a non-white person um, I don't know. I felt like it educated me quite a lot as well. And it's an important thing. But also, I mean, that film was, I think it was crowdsourced in terms of the funding. And it's just, it just shows like how far indie filmmaking can go. It's so beautifully shot and the script is so funny. It's just such a clever film. It's very impressive. And it's great that like a distribution network like, like Netflix can spread that, which like 10 years ago it wouldn't have been able to, just to be geeky about that. But yeah, broadly, I mean, there's a systematic problem in film and television. Um, and 
actually Claire raised that um, in the interview that she was quite pleased that 24% of, of the film uh, films in the fest- festival were directed by women. But, you know, 50% of people on the planet are women. So is that really enough? I think it's more than 50% of people on the planet are women, actually. So there we go. should be 51% are directors if we're doing a direct correspondence. Um, Here's Claire's take on the Bechdel test. What, what do you think of the uh, Bechdel test? Oh, look, I think any campaign that promotes the cause is a great campaign, and I love it personally. You know, but I also like anything that reduces a film to, you know, a few very distinct elements. I guess I have an ambiguous relationship to that because I love the sophistication of cinema, and, and for me it's not as easy as to say it's this element, this element, and this element that... that uh, make the whole you know it came about I think just at the bottom of a comic strip it was a like almost a uh, a side note and then it it got picked up by bloggers and it got amplified there is a film festival structure around it, actually thanks so much for speaking to me if you've had time to think about it do you have any ideas of a gripe or a mini celebration there are so many uh daily gripes when you're putting a festival together that I'm going to avoid that completely and go for a mini celebration which is that the fabulous Henrietta Ludgate who makes my opening and closing night frocks has just sent me a, a first uh, little image of what this year's opening night frock might look like and I'm very excited have you got any song suggestions that you'd like us to play the show out on it's a 60th anniversary of the festival so our diamond jubilee and it still surprises me that here we are 60 years later the festival started out being a 15 film event opened with akira kurosawa's throne of blood and now here we are you know 245 uh, 245 films um and uh, building an amazing new temporary cinema at um, the Victoria Embankment Gardens. And I feel like that is worthy of a bit of a diamond-related song, really. And it's a couple of years old now for us because Girlhood uh, was in the festival a few years ago, but I still can't get Celine Siama's wonderful use of Shine Bright Like a Diamond out of my head, so I'm going to go with that. Thanks so much for speaking to me. That is all we have time for today. You have been listening to Very Loose Women on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please find, download, rate our podcast on iTunes, Acast or Stitcher. We've got a back catalogue of over 80 episodes now, so plenty for you to hear from a loose chat about orgasms to a discussion with an Oxford ancient Babylonian scholar about inspecting sheep's entrails to predict the future. Please do follow us on Twitter at VLW Radio and on Facebook. Our page is called Very Loose Women Revamped. Next up on Resonance, the ever-knowledgeable Bacon Face with his uh, global globules. Thanks so much, Claire, for chatting to me today. And here is Rihanna Diamonds, which you are listening to right now. Tonight, you and I were